Hi, and welcome. It is Lisa Leitner, and I'm very excited. I have someone on the phone with me today, which means I am not just talking out my back window like I usually am. Um, in a minute, I'm going to introduce him. I am here with Eric and Endlich, E-N-D-L-I-C-H. He is a PhD in psychologist. He is also the founder of Top College Consultants. Um, and what he does and what his specialty is, is that he helps teens uh, with disabilities transition to college. He will work with kids all over the country and in fact, all over the world. So you can look him up at his website, again, Top College Consultants. He also has a great video, um, I took a look at it the other day, about colleges and programs for students with learning differences. And then also, this is what really, I'm sure this is what drives a lot of people to his website. Um, he has an autism friendly college list. So we're going to talk about what in his mind makes a college autism friendly and what to look for. And then of course, you know, if you want to check it out, you can go to his website, top college consultants. Um, also don't forget to visit a day in our I have lots of information in there about transition plans and 504s in college, things like that. And that's it. So thank you, Eric, for being my guest today. Let's get started. Welcome to Don't IEP Alone, the only podcast dedicated to helping parents navigate the IEP process and hosted by a special education advocate. Your host has been attending IEP meetings for over a decade and has helped thousands of parents go from an IEP rookie to an IEP all-star. Be prepared to learn tips that will be a total game changer for you as a parent advocate and most importantly, your child's outcomes. Partnered with the award-winning Lock a Day in Our Shoes, you'll be confident, knowledgeable, and actually looking forward to your next IEP meeting. Don't IEP alone. Get ready. Here's your host from suburban Philadelphia, Lisa Leitner. Hi, good morning. It's Lisa Leitner again from A Day in Our Shoes, Don't IEP Alone. And today I have Eric Endelik with me. Eric is a college consultant, which I'll tell you more about in a bit. But I am excited to have him on because I think that many of us or many parents kind of get in the mindset that college is not an option for our kids. And I think that while we've come a long way in the past, you know, several years, I think we have a long way to go in changing that mindset. So let me introduce Eric. And Eric, why don't you tell us a few things about yourself? Sure. Well, I'm a special needs parent myself, so I, I understand the struggle. I'm also a psychologist and an educational consultant. And I work with special needs students nationwide, actually worldwide, on the transition to college, on what happens after high school. And um, thank you for having me on your show. I'm really excited to talk about how things change when students finish high school and age out or, or finish the IEP process because um, it can be very uh, confusing and unsettling for parents. That's I, And I think that's true even with our our non-disabled kids, we worry about what's what's going to happen and what they're going to do. So, um, yeah, when our kids have more challenges, it certainly brings a few more worries. Um, okay, so let's back up then a little bit. Let's go back to high school. You know, as you know, I work as an IEP advocate, and I I just find that a lot of 
transition plans. Um, they're just not very meaty. There's a lot of, you know, child will research three colleges, child will do this, child will do that. And there's not, you know, a whole lot of substance to them. If a parent has a child right now who's in transition age, what do you think are some important things that should be in that transition plan? Well, I think um, one of the things that's really important is to assess a child's uh, college readiness. And there are lots of students who are college capable, but not college ready. And this is not necessarily something that you can rely on the school or anyone else to um, point out to you. Your, your child may be getting, taking challenging courses in high school, getting decent or even very good grades. That doesn't mean that they're ready to go off to college, live with a roommate, manage their time independently, advocate for themselves with a professor, and do all of the other tasks that uh, come about when you're in college that you may not have had to grapple with in high school. In high school, there tends to be a lot more support around through the parents being there, possibly through um, the special education team, a learning specialist, um, a counselor at school. There are lots of supports that students don't even realize that they're relying on that kind of go away after high school. And it's important for parents to figure out what additional college readiness skills does my child need? Do they need more time to to acquire those skills before college? Or do they need some extra supports in order to be able to thrive in college? Because simply going to college with academic proficiency doesn't mean everything's going to go smoothly. Ah, so true. Um, good. So, you know, working on the, you know, definitely getting those soft skills in there um, and at least recognizing what, what the needs are and addressing them for, yeah, for independent living. Yeah, and let me be clear too, I'm not, I understand fully that not all students are college capable or interested in college. It's not the only option or the best option for everyone. There are also non-degree programs on college campuses for students with intellectual or developmental disabilities that people may not know about. Um, and again, the, the, the school system may or may not inform you of all the options that are out there. That's true. Um, interesting. I did have, I had that written down to bring that up with you, these like kind of non-degree, non-credit type of programs for students with disabilities. Are you seeing a significant increase in those or increase? I mean, in numbers of them. Yes. Yeah, it does seem like they're proliferating, um, which I think is a great thing because there's a lot of students who see their peers going off to college and feel kind of envious that, you know, you're going to, you know, live away from home and do all these cool things and, you know, and I'm just having to live at home and um, not sharing that experience. So it's a great opportunity for students who may not be college capable, who may not be able to handle the academics of college to still go off, live on a college campus, um, and more importantly, develop life skills, independent living skills, social skills, yeah. along with having this experience that for them can be very fun and exciting. We had, um, I live about 15 miles from one of Pennsylvania's, one of our state state schools, um, and they had this program for, I want to say two or three years, maybe it was five, but then they had publicly announced that they didn't, they weren't going to fund it anymore, and 
the it was nice. The public outcry was tremendous. And I want to say within 60 days, they found the money and said, okay, yeah, we're not going to discontinue this program. Well, that's, that's great. Well, I th- I think also, I think um, in some cases, students get some funding through state agencies. So that helps both, that helps the families be able to afford the programs and it helps the program stay in business. Yeah. Okay, you have on your site, and your site is topcollegeconsultants.com, which I will have a link to it um, in the podcast. But on there, you have um, a list of what you consider autism-friendly schools. Can you tell me what you look for in an autism-friendly school? Yeah, well, primarily, I've listed schools that actually have an autism support program of some kind, Uh, and these really do terms of how comprehensive they are some of them have a social skills component some of them don't Um, but these would be programs that are designed to include welcome and support um, students on the spectrum on their campus i've also included a handful of colleges that have programs that aren't necessarily specific for autism but could still be really helpful for students on the spectrum so for example if it's a program for students with learning differences it has academic coaching, help with executive function, time management, and that sort of thing, that could, those could be some of the issues that those students are struggling with, and so it still could be a good option for them. It really depends on the specific needs of the student, so you can't just kind of pick colleges based on a list. You really have to match the student to the college very carefully. Um, just being on the spectrum, for example, doesn't mean that a student necessarily needs an autism support program, or if they do, you have to look at which which components they need. Um, and then there are, there are colleges that have something maybe more limited, like an autism club, um, which I think is still um, more than some other colleges have. So I've tried to list colleges that have anything um, that is going to be especially helpful for students on the spectrum. And I've thrown in a couple of the programs that we were talking about earlier, the non-degree certificate programs, just as examples, um, but I don't have an exhaustive listing on my site. I can help families find these colleges. And then, of course, as I said, not all students on the spectrum need these support programs, but they still need to be really thoughtful and mindful in choosing a college that's going to meet their needs where they can thrive. Right. So let's just say a parent you know, their their number one criteria is going to be location because they want to keep the child close to home and no such, you know, I, I live in suburban Philadelphia, so I am seriously within like 10 or 15 miles of a dozen colleges maybe, um, but others, you know, aren't so lucky. So what would, you, what would parents look for if you say, well, I really want to keep my kid close at least for the first year or two. What are some things or what are... What are some questions that they can ask admissions and things like that? Yeah, well, you're lucky you do live in a good area. There are, there are a number of options out there in Pennsylvania. Um, so it, it is important to have, have a thoughtful list, which should be based on your student's needs, on your child's needs. If you just go and ask, you know, hey, what can you do for you know, my child's on the spectrum or my child has this particular disability, what can you do for them? You'll get kind of a canned answer off, often where this, where the college will talk about their accommodations. And this is an important distinction to make. So colleges, when, when 
you ask them about serving students with disabilities, they'll say, oh, we, we, have, we can offer all sorts of accommodations. We can offer added time on tests, and we can offer quiet room for tests, and they'll go on and on describing their accommodations. But these are standard accommodations that every college has to provide by federal law. So that's not really anything that you really need to necessarily research, although um, the quality of those accommodations may vary from one college to another, and the staffing of the disability office may vary. So, you know, it's a good idea to, to go to the disability office and, and look around and, and look at their flyers and ask about their staffing and try to get a sense of how, how well-funded is this office. If you know what the specific accommodations are that you need, then by all means say, you know, can you provide this on your campus? Uh, you know, for example, if it's a student with mobility uh, difficulties, um, not all campuses are going to be equally accessible from a physical standpoint. Um, but but that's just, the, I've just been talking about accommodations. That's not really touching the area of supports and services. And that, I think, is really key to look at. Not just what accommodations can you make, but above and beyond that, do you have special programs, supports, or services for students with this particular disability? And, uh, you know, and in the area of autism, I've, I've listed a lot of those programs that do have additional supports, but um, that's a small fraction of colleges. Okay. Um, great. I see on your list, your list of colleges, um, and let me back up a second. We all know that um, student funding or, or college funding, whatever you want to call it, it's a huge um, societal issue. It's a, it's a, you know, for many of our presidential candidates, they've made this a central focus of their campaign um, as far as student loans and, and funding post-secondary education. Um, do you know are, if a child or is a student identified with a disability, our parents may be able to access additional funds or they still just have to be in touch with their, you know, the funding assistance office and things like that. Yeah, I, I see there's additional fees for a lot of these programs. Right, right. Yeah, it's a complicated question. Um, there isn't one one answer that applies to everyone. And I have listed the fees there because I think, um, and, and a lot of other autism uh, program lists you'll find online don't list the fees. But I think that's a really important piece of information for parents because yeah. some of these programs, whether it's for learning differences or autism, some of these special programs don't charge any additional fees. And frankly, when I hear that, I'm, I'm almost stunned because it's the exception. So I have gone into some colleges and, and I tour many colleges a year. Um, and I've uh, heard about pretty, you know, impressive programs with that are not, that don't require an additional fee. But then other programs cost many, many thousands of dollars extra above and beyond the tuition that you're already paying. Right. So that's really important, important for parents to, to look at. And uh, in, as I said earlier, there are cases with, with certain kinds of programs where funding through, say, vocational rehab of that state, if, if the student is a client of voc, voc rehab or another agency in the state, there sometimes is additional funding for education. But it's very specific to the agency, the student, the program, so I can't make a, any blanking, blanket statements about that. Right, okay. But they should just go to b both high school and the college they're considering, go to the financial assistance office and start poking around, I guess. Yeah, and they, and they should be 
knowledgeable about the agencies that their child may be eligible for in their state, um, which typically are, are vocational rehab or developmental disabilities agencies. And sometimes those programs will fund certain pro certain college support programs. Okay. And back to your question about, you know, finding college close to home, of course, some students end up going to the local college or the community college so they can live at home. Um, there's a lot of reasons why that works for some students. It gives them a chance to sort of sample, get used to the academic challenge of college before they add on the additional challenge of living independently. So you can kind of do that in two stages. First, you transition to college while you're living at home, and then after a year or two, perhaps transfer to college where you're living away from home. Um, if students need additional services, sometimes they end up getting those outside of the college. So ideally, if you can find a college that provides all the supports you need, that's I think is the gold standard where you're where it's one-stop shopping. But in some cases, a family, for example, will hire an executive function coach who is not located at the college that'll work with the student remotely or outside of the college or other resources like a counselor or a tutor. Um, so they, they can kind of put together a program of services to support their student. Okay. Um, there's been... I work here in, in the state. Um, I work as a, an IEP compliance monitor, which means that I go around to different school districts when they're due for their compliant their I, their compliance monitoring um, because the state requires that you know so many state employees do it, and then they have volunteers, and then then they require that parents you know trained parents be on the team. So I do this. Several years ago, um, I was doing a a monitoring at a school district in suburban Philadelphia. And um, my blog wasn't nearly as popular then. And, and honestly, I'm not famous now. I'm not trying to claim to be. But the guy had this, this one administrator had no idea who I was, you know, here as part of this monitoring. He just thought I was, you know, there to monitor and didn't really, he just didn't know who I was. And he wasn't watching or paying particular attention to what he was saying. And he started I'll say running his mouth, for lack of a better term. And he was telling the other folks there who were retired educators as part of the team I was on that their, their kind of standard MO was to, you know, they, they were passing kids through with learning disabilities. You know, they had IEPs. Some of their needs were being met for the most part. But when it came time to graduation, what they were doing was they had been instructed by their attorney to offer a 13th or 14th year. So, you know, it's time to, time to graduate, time to transition, and the school says, well, do you think you need a 13th or 14th year? Of course, most kids, you know what most 18-year-old kids want to say, you know, no way, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm out of here. Um, but then this disturbing trend has erupted in that these kids go off to college at, at different levels, community college, whatever, and they're not ready. And we're finding here locally that a lot of community colleges are pushing back saying, you know, we're spending too much time remediating this ki these kids because they really, they weren't ready. Is that something that is just, you think, localized here? Or is that something you hear about? And what should parents do if 
you know, their kid receives a diploma. They think they're ready for, at the very least, community college, and then they get there and they're really not. Okay, and that's it. That is where we are going to end for today. I am going to leave you with a cliffhanger. And yes, because I am such a nerd, the cliffhanger isn't even that exciting. It's about whether or not your child is ready for college. But I want to thank Eric for participating today. You can catch him next Tuesday um, when the new episode publishes. Um, in the meantime, if you want to look him up, Eric Endlich can be found at topcollegeconsultants.com. He's also on Facebook and LinkedIn. Thanks. And Thanks we'll see for you next listening week. to the Don't IEP Alone podcast. No parent should have to IEP alone. And with a day in our shoes, you don't have to. For more IEP assistance and letter templates, visit adayinourshoes.com. For ongoing assistance and support, follow our Facebook page and group. Wait.